Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hi, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Whether this is your first time or perhaps you're a regular listener, it's always great to have you join me here today. Before we get started with today's episode, I just want to say thank you for all of the supportive comments that we get and the reviews that you leave about how much you enjoy the podcast and the guests that we feature on the show. Obviously, I do read all of them, and I really appreciate the fact that you take the time to let me know what you enjoy. So once again, thank you. Today's episode is about a topic that many of you will relate to, and that is the importance of finding balance and avoiding burnout in our careers. My guest on today's podcast is Ashley Hodges, a young woman who has built up a well-deserved reputation in the UK hairdressing industry as not only being very talented at doing hair, but also being an exceptionally nice person in the process. In today's podcast, we'll discuss the imbalance of representation of women in the industry, mental health and dealing with burnout, and the secret to being successful, and so much more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Ashley Hodges. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's, uh, it's, it's my pleasure to have you because uh, we don't know each other very well. I mean, we've been having a little chat before we started recording. It's great to get to know you. And uh, I've been doing a little bit of research and, and you know, I'm, I've, I've learned a lot about you already. So I feel that I'm at a, a distinct advantage. And uh, I know that our audience are going to absolutely love hearing what you've got to talk about and your perspective on all things hairdressing. So. Let's do what I what I often do is this. I, I often get my guest to pretty much introduce himself. So uh, a lot of our listeners, as I said to you earlier, are uh, American and Australian, and they perhaps won't know who you are, whereas uh, our UK-based audience will very much know who Ashley Hodges is. So can you just sort of give us a quick sort of, you know, one to two minute max overview of who we who you are, and uh, and then we can sort of dig into it and, uh, and have some really great conversation of course of course um yeah so um uh, I, I mean i've got many titles that sound very fancy but i'll reel them off for you um i'm the global color ambassador for davenets um i'm the chancellor for the fellowship for british hairdressing um and i'm also the co-director of hair.com art team which is a creative collaborative art team that my friend and i have together um and yeah, I, I mean, overall, I'm a colorist. That's like my key job. Um, I'm a freelance hairdresser that I still look after clients, maybe a handful of days a month, because I think it's really important for me, especially in my role with Davines as the colorist for Tom Connell, uh, when we're working on collections and um ideas around things that are salon friendly or techniques. I think it's really important that I'm still salon based um, to have a handle on all of that. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, there's multiple avenues to, to my business as a, as an, as an overriding 
thing but I think more than anything that's because I just I like to get involved in lots of things and um I get bored very easily so I like to have stuff across my week that gives me interesting things to look forward to and switch things up a lot so yeah I'm always here there and everywhere um and yeah I I mean I've been um my cat's getting involved this is Frank <laughs> I can see he's, he's just walked into view of the camera what's his name Frank okay. yeah Frank well, yeah good he's, afternoon um, Frank it's good to have you on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> he gets in everything um so yeah uh, yeah, overall, I mean, I always think we all have these fancy titles and we all do these fascinating jobs. But at the end of the day, if we're booking our um, insurance, we're putting ourselves down as a hairdresser. So but at the end of it, we're all hairdressers and we're all working in the industry to to do better for ourselves and for the industry as a whole. So that's overall, that's my little elevator pitch for you. <laughs> Right. Okay. That's a good introduction. Uh, nice to meet Frank as well. Um, and there are lots of accomplishments that you've just rolled off. Some of them, some you haven't even rolled off. You didn't even mention them. Uh, so I, I just want to dig into a couple of those, as you as you referred to as fancy titles. Uh, one of the things that you are is you're the Chancellor for the Fellowship of British Hairdressing. What is what does that mean for people who don't know what that means? So the Fellowship for British Hairdressing is an organisation here in the UK um, that is actually 75 years old now as of last year. Um, and it's created to give opportunity and space for people to be creative. Um, and it helps grow people's careers. It helps give people an opportunity to perhaps trial things outside of the salon. It also helps give them business advice. And as chancellor, my role, I, I always think chancellor is kind of like the nicest role out of all of them um, because I look after our awards. I look after the projects. So we run projects both for up and coming hairdressers, but for established hairdressers. So we run projects in for people wanting to go into session, people wanting to excel in colour, people wanting to excel in men's hair. Um, we're launching one soon for people that want to get more involved in Afro and textured hair. We're, we're, we've got a lot of projects going on, um, as well as our fame team, which is like our Fellowship Academy of Merit and Excellence. So that's like the, the overall big one. If people want to kind of become the best in their in their industry. So yeah, as chancellor, I kind of oversee all of the creative side of things. So I work uh, really closely with our events team to make sure that we're getting the right people in. And off the back of that, I've become head of diversity and inclusivity for the organization because, like I said, we're a 75-year-old organization and it's really important for us to keep growing and, and being inclusive of how the industry currently is. So I'm working hard with our sponsors and our members to make sure that we're more diverse and more inclusive as an organisation as a whole. Okay, my God, I, I had no idea that that's what the Chancellor did. I thought the Chancellor yeah. that you were in charge of the money. I thought that you were... No, you were... nobody wants to put me in charge of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I thought. I mean, most of the people that are running the fellowship and these organizations are 
are men. And uh, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that is a thing. And you are a breath of fresh air to it because one thing that you haven't alluded to, which sort of I'm going to mention, I hope you don't mind, is that I believe you're only 32. Um, and as you go through... In September, so, so not, you're not, not even 32, 32. yet. Yeah, okay, so, you, so yeah, you're, you're 31, right, okay. So we never want to age a woman any more than what she actually is. So, yeah, you're 31, and you have achieved so many different accolades, titles. You've done so much in that time, and I think that's really important to, to put all this into context. I suppose I thought Chancellor was financial because that's what it is in the political system in the UK, that the Chancellor yeah. is the person who looks after the, the country's budget. So I've made this assumption that that's what you were doing, that you were in charge of the budget. So I've learned something already, which is great. Um, and I had no idea that the diversity and inclusivity, inclusivity sorry, uh, uh, you know, role was also getting the you know, the, the the predominance that it needs to and should have. So, you know, that's fantastic. Um, and the other thing you threw in right at the beginning of that is that you had another business. I didn't even catch the name of it. It was something.com art team. What, what was that all about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's something my friend Craig Chapman um, initially created years and years ago now um, because we, we do a lot of session work together. So we work in TV and on music videos and things. And he originally started that so that when he, when he, when we got jobs like that, he wasn't running it through his own business. He set it up as a separate business. So it all ran through um, Hair.com Art Team. And then back in 2018, we did a collection together and entered it as an artistic team into the British Hairdressing Awards. And we got through to the final, which was incredible. And then everyone was asking us what our art team was and what we were all about. So Craig and I kind of sat down and said, oh, we need to, we need to kind of ground this a little bit because for years it was just a bunch of mates working together in session. Um, so we create, so I came on board um, as director. And so Craig and I direct the business together and we've got 17 people on our art team. Errol Douglas is our ambassador and we have um, a variety of incredible people from that experts in texture, men's um, color that work on social media, that work under the radar in session. So there's a real variety of us. And primarily we're still a bunch of mates that work together and we, we do jobs with each other. Um, and we work on the last couple of years during the pandemic, we've done a lot of education for the industry. So okay. uh, we did a lot of online education um, because we, we have such a wealth of knowledge across the 17 people that we were teaching things and, and we were teaching interesting subjects outside of the industry so we've got a well-being expert so we were teaching well-being within salons and how to help your staff get through the pandemic we I teach a sustainability course because personally I I sustainability is something that's really important to me and I live what most most of my mates would say that I'm the most sustainable person they know, but I know more sustainable people than even me. So I put that down into a course and, and I now teach people how to be sustainable and we would have social media courses. And yeah, so we were kind of bringing the industry courses and education that 
that wasn't really there. Um, obviously, we we teach session and we teach cutting and coloring and things like that. But primarily, we're there to teach things that that people wouldn't get elsewhere. So yeah, that's our that's my other business. Yeah, well, when when I'm not being bored. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've, you've got so many. You've got so many things going on. Is there one particular area of of hairdressing? Because I I know. You know, you're primarily you're, as a colorist. Uh, you're a, a freelance hairdresser. You work with uh, Davanos. I know you've done all sorts of awards. I know you've done hair on, you know, TV for The Voice. Uh, you know, I know you were part of the uh, Fame team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is there one particular area that you're more focused on than the other? Um, I think it. I think it changes like week to week sometimes. But I mean, primarily I'm a colorist and my main job is with Davaness. So day to day, the majority of the things that I'll be doing will be focused on working with Davaness and Tom and and, and working on collections and education. And, and, and now obviously the world's opening up again. I'm traveling a lot more again with them. Um, so most, most weeks I'm spending half my week either in Italy or somewhere else. Um, so yeah, so primarily, like I said at the beginning, at the end of the day, you you do you have all these jobs, but you're a hairdresser, and at the end of the day, I'm a colorist, and I have to earn money, and I work for Davaness. And but I think the thing that I like about my role with Davaness is that they're a B Corp, and and all my other things, kind of all my other philosophies in life, all fit into that as well. So mm. with my sustainability and all of that, so everything that I do all slightly overlap anyway. So it all kind of fits together like a nice puzzle. Yeah. I know uh, from looking at your Instagram feed uh, that you did this thing on sustainability where you wanted to have one sustainable issue each month uh, for, I think, a period of 12 months. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So it was actually, it was the end of 2019 and um I'd, I mean, I, I watched documentaries and things and, and I'd, I'd seen a documentary and, and I was just having a hard time anyway. And you start to feel like you, you're not making a difference as an individual person. Um, and my partner came home and I spoke to him about it and he was like, well, what, what can we actually do? So we then made a plan to be like, right, we'll, we'll spend 2020 having a year of sustainability where rather than trying to fix it all at once and failing um, and then you never kind of try again we thought we'd do one thing per month so that it becomes a habit because if you focus on one thing after like 28 days it can be a habit and if you think of one thing that you can change to be more sustainable you can learn about why it's important to be sustainable, how you can implement it, and then you can implement it across that month quite easily without it feeling too much. Um, and when you're a busy person and you're traveling around a lot, and I live in London in an apartment, so it's not like, I mean, the most sustainable thing I could have done is gone off to the countryside and lived in a little commune where I grew my own vegetables and all of that. But yeah, you still have to do it so it's sustainable for your actual life. Yeah. And I'm not going to move out of London anytime soon. I love it here. So, yeah, so I, I focused on one individual thing each month, whether it was reducing my water and learning about how to do that on a broader scale rather than just turning the tap off about understanding that 
it's in the purchases that I'm buying. When I'm buying things, there's X amount of water that's gone into that purchase. So reducing all of that down, uh, whether it's my waste and figuring out how to become a zero waste person that lives in an apartment in London. Um, I now know way too much about composting. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, yeah, there's, that, there's multiple things that we did um, and we focused on one thing each month to um, to really become, and it was a personal thing that I did um, with my partner. Um, and then it just filtered into into work because, of course, I, I when people say you want a balance between a work life balance and things like that, I don't believe that you can have work life balance in that sense. Like we have one life; it's one whole life. It's not you're at work and then you're at home. For me, anyway. I just have a whole life. So of course, whatever I'm doing in my personal life filters into my work life. And so the salons that I work in, um, in London as a freelancer, they're zero waste now. And, and because you're talking about it to people and then they realize that it's important and you all start to figure out ways of, of doing better. Mm. What, um, salons do you, do you work in? Like I, I weren't sure what you did. Was it that freelance meaning that you're out? all the time on set doing different things or, you know, do you have a clientele that you service? So talk to us about that. Yeah. So I have, um, I only have about 20 clients. Um, the majority have been with me. Well, a few have probably been with me since I started my career and they've followed me everywhere. Um, and actually during the pandemic, I think hairdressers were like such a big thing as well, weren't they? Everyone was talking about their hair and as soon as they got their hair done, who who was doing their hair? So I I, I took on a few new clients then and then I realised that I that actually my limit is very much 20 clients because like, I'm a colourist as well. Generally, my clients take about four, have like four-hour services. So in a day, I can only do two to three. Um, and when you're only doing so many days a month, you can't take on more than that. Um, so I work out of primarily the social, which is over in East London, run by Kai Wilson. Um, and that was kind of one of the first original um, co-working spaces, really, in London. Um, he kind of started that years ago. And, and then now all of a sudden, co-working spaces are massive over here. I know they've been huge in the States for years. Um, and then Hunter Collective, I work out of once a month for primarily my outside out of town clients because Hunter Collective is more central London. It's around Farringdon, Chancery Lane, King's Cross. So it's really easy for my clients that come to me outside of London to get to me in that more central location. So I'm there once a month and that's run by uh, Lacey Felton and yeah, she's an incredible businesswoman that's got multiple co-working spaces now around London. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I know I've had her on uh, on the podcast when we spoke all about the Hunter Collective and the, the co-working spaces, which which was, you know, interesting. And it is a an interesting, you know, movement. I mean, in the in the US, there are co-working spaces, but the big thing there has been the salon suite thing. Um, whereas the co-working space looks like a salon it looks like a team of people that are all working together but they're all independent entities yeah who who come and go yeah. as they please and they book 
you know, how does it work? Uh, uh, do they do they both work the same way? Those two, Kai Wilson's uh, the social. Uh, uh, no, they work. They work very similar, but equally different. Depend and and I think it just depends on who's running it, what they're trying to get out of it. So. I know for Kai, he created it so that he had his space to work out of and it then created an extra revenue stream for him renting the chairs out. Um, and whereas Lacey, that's her bread and butter, that's her business. Um, so they work it very differently. Um, and with Hunter Collective, you become a member. So you pay a monthly membership and then you pay an hourly rate for your chair. Um, so it's a, that, it's a bit more structured uh, whereas the social is a lot more loose and, and relaxed where I can book a day whenever I'm available and I pay a day rate and that's kind of that sort of thing. Uh, all, and that all runs through an app now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, for, for people that are going to go and look after clients very regularly, I know a lot of them like that kind of structure of Hunter Collective but for someone like me that's like floating here, there and everywhere and, and doing everything, it kind of works that I'm primarily at the social because it is that more flexible and, and it is down the road from where I live. So when I'm in the country and when I'm at home, it's really nice to actually be nearby. Yeah. What's the, um, what's your feeling about why that side of the industry is, is growing so much? Because there is very definitely a, a movement towards people, you know, wanting more flexibility, wanting more autonomy. And, you know, there's more and more people doing what you're doing. And some of them can do it and do it really well. Others are a complete disaster because they don't have the, you know, the self-discipline and the self-management skills and the ability to market themselves to make it work. So talk to us about that. Why do you think that's becoming such a thing? Well, I think I think there's a couple of different things there because actually when I when I think back and like my parents have a salon and I think back when my mum was working for people um, in salons and then um, – she decided to branch out on her own and open her own salon. She was basically looking for freedom and for her to be able to run her own life and her own business. And I think that's basically what people are wanting now. There's that throughout all the generations and all the decades, that's what the end, at the end of the day, that's how new businesses come about. I just think nowadays there's more options. You don't have to have a bricks and mortar business you can have a business that you run within a business um, and you don't have the stress of staff and all the rest of it. And you have that flexibility. Whereas when you think back 10, 20 years ago, the only way you had that was if you opened your own salon. Mm. Um, so I think that there's just more available now. So people have that option to go and do that or trial it and see because I mean I've been freelance now for four or five years like fully freelance um and I've seen people come and go that thought like I it's one of those sayings like the grass is greener they they might be working in a salon and think oh I, I like that idea of flexibility um but it doesn't work like you said that they can't structure themselves or um it's not it's just not right for them and I yeah. think it's, I think more than anything, it's all about understanding yourself. Um, and sometimes you need to trial things to understand yourself. Yeah. So do they tend to go back 
to an employee relationship? The ones that you see? Yeah, the majority of them. The ones that the ones that come along and trial it and it doesn't work out end mm. up going back into salons. Yeah. Um, but they they've learned something from from the experience. And I think if anything, they're they're even more loyal to them to those in the salon because yeah. they've realized already that it's not right for them and, and how yeah. great it is being in a salon. Um it's just that self-awareness of of what works for you and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it is good for some people without a shadow of a doubt, but but a lot of people completely underestimate what's involved in, in being, you know, self-employed. Um, you you mentioned something there which I hadn't, I weren't aware of when you were talking about the social, which is a co-working space, and you just mentioned, uh, and now you just log in via an app. Uh, that's good. I didn't know that. So, yeah. so how does it talk to me about that? How does that work? You just like yeah, space we, by the hour or something via an app. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Kai's been working on it recently, and we're tra- we're testing and trialing it all at the moment. Mm. Um, but we just go onto the Social London app, um, and it works a bit like how clients book appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, you you book in. There's there's a list of chairs that are available. You click the chair. Most people naturally click chair one because it's at the top of the list. Um, and then the dates come available that you want to click on. You click on the date and there's a timing thing with it at the moment, but we're going to shift that because we, we do just book the whole chair for the day. Mm. Um, and, and then it, it comes through confirming. And then a few days before you're about to go in, it sends you a message to say, do you still want to confirm this chair for this day? And you click yes. And yeah, it's, it's really simple. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not by the hour. It's for a day. You book the chair for the day. For the and day. You, and you pay yeah. a set, a set fee or a percentage or what? Yeah. A day rate. So yeah, a there's rate. a set fee for the day. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing. You, you sort of alluded to the fact that your mum was a hairdresser and, and, uh, uh, obviously, when she was setting up her business and wanted that flexibility to be a mum and a hairdresser and work and, you know, do all the things that, that, that women mm-hmm. have to do, that the technology didn't exist. And one of the things that now makes all those sort of business models more possible is the, the changes in uh, technology. Um, one of the things we were having a chat before we started recording, and we were talking about the imbalance of women in the industry. And how, you know, depending on what you read or listen to, it's something like, um, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent, depends a little bit on what country you're talking about, uh, of people that are in this industry as hairdressers are female. And yet in certain positions, um, hairdressing awards, all that sort of stuff, they're often very much underrepresented. Uh, And I know that you... um, but you have a view on that. You have opinions about that. And I'd love to, I'd love for you to talk about that. I don't have a direct question. I, I really just want to, you know, get your, um, your perspective on why that is, that women are still underrepresented as, you know, proportionately to, to how many of them that there are in this industry. Yeah, well, I always think like when people talk about, um, the inequality in the industry or the di- lack of diversity in the industry or anything like that, no matter what, we're always going to be a reflection of what society is. Um, and, and until 
like society as a whole generally starts to shift, we're not going to have that true shift within the industry because no matter what, we're always going to be a reflection of that. I mean, even just now, you said about um, women wanting to be able to manage their own time between working and looking after the children and things like that. It's, yeah. it's not women, it's people. Yeah, yeah. yeah and actually, right. it's, it's, it's just, it's so natural for people to slip into being like, oh, well, women want this. But actually, as a whole, it's people. Mm. It's not just women. Men want that as well. But men get it because of mm. the society we live in or the expectations on men are different to the expectations on women. Mm. And until that starts, and it is shifting, it, it's definitely shifting. Um, and especially after the, the movements that we've had over the last kind of 10 to five years, it's, it's massively shifted and people are understanding that the language that they're using and the, the way that we're working is, is now coming into a better balance. Um, it's, it's still take it, it's still, it's always going to take its time until society as a whole starts to shift with it all. Um, I think the hair industry is probably one of the better industries for it in some respects, because we have probably more female CEOs than many other industries. We have more female founders than any other industries, but we don't respect that in the same way um, because as soon as there's a man, it's easy to put him on the pedestal because again, he's had that all his life. He's had that privilege mm-hmm. of being able to, to talk above and beyond anybody else. Whereas women haven't had the privilege of that in society. Um, so yeah, I think until, until there's that general shift, it, it's, just all slowly taking its time. And I think it's good that it takes its time. If it changed overnight, everybody would go into a panic. And I always think when one thing swings one way, it swings back the other way before it levels itself out. Mm. And I think if you do something more gentle, it's going to level itself out continually on that journey rather than swinging either way. So we're all taking small steps to understand the language that we're using and to understand what the biases and the gender biases are within society and our industry as a whole. And I think we're the more women that come up to the top of the industry, the more that the better it's going to become because then you genuinely understand what is wrong and where we can fix it. Because until the more of us are up there, you're not going to understand what's wrong. Um, because it's tiny, it's tiny little things and it's all these little things that then will add up to the bigger change. Yeah, yeah. Some great insights there. I, I, I love listening to what you've got to say. Um, as a woman who has achieved so much, um, what are some of the hurdles that, that you've had to overcome? Um, oh, I mean... There's multiple different ones, but there's a really fascinating fact, and I, and I don't know if I've got the statistics right, but this is just in general, this isn't it within our industry, but a man is most likely to go for a job if he's 10% um, qualified for it, uh, but he's like 90% up for going for the job, um, whereas a female is more likely to go for a job if she's 90% up, like 
qualified for the job okay. but she would probably only be about 40 percent okay for going for that job even if she's 90 percent ready for it okay um meaning confidence. so yeah right um yeah. and that's 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 a massive thing you men easily can fake it till they make it whereas women would rather make it and then push themselves so having to kind of draw on this thing where you have to almost fake it till you make it mm. is something that isn't a natural thing ingrained within a in a woman as it, as it is for a cis white man um and it, and I'm not saying it is for every cis white man but it is the privilege that the society that our society gives you um so that in general pushing forward and as a young female looking up at the industry and only seeing men at the top only seeing men in ambassador roles only seeing men winning the top awards and not seeing yourself represented in those roles and in those awards makes you question whether it's even possible so then you're working hard towards goals that you don't even know if you'll ever get because men are always in them and you don't know if you'll ever get to that point so as soon as you start seeing a female up in a role you go oh my god that's amazing it is possible mm. and then you start shifting so as a young female coming through the industry it was hard seeing only men at the top and not seeing women represented even though those around you in the salon was were all women like I, i've never worked with a man until i moved to london um because all the, all the salons in the villages and the small towns that i was around it was just all women um so yeah so there's there's that representation and and that confidence and when you're at events and and it's it's very different now but when i first started in the industry when you would network with the press and there was this whole thing that the guys that were at my level, the men that were at my level would go and flirt with the press and they'd chat and buy them drinks. And then they'd get covers and front covers and they'd get, they'd get all of this. Whereas I'm a girl, I'm not going to go and flirt with the press. I would go and chat with them. And I mean, we've had a chat already about the fact that I'm not very good with small talk anyway. So I networking makes me feel really awkward so you have to find other ways to network that people will take you seriously because that and there's a, there's this almost this weird expectation of the the men can like flirt their way to it they can they can talk about it they've got this confidence whereas yeah like i said the women don't have that and there's this expectation of if you're saying that you're this good you you've got to prove it mm. so you have to really come with the goods as well yeah so sort of going back to what we talked about before with uh, how you have this role of, of chancellor with the fellowship for British hairdressing, which is a big deal. People who, who aren't British may be you know, say not aware. That's a big deal. Um, that gives you an opportunity to change that. And so as you yes. mentioned when you were talking about it, diversity and inclusion is part of your remit, if that's the correct word. Um, and so it's not just talking a, about race, racial bias. It is also talking about the female thing, because, as you said, you need to see people that look like you. I mean, that expression is used a lot these days so that yeah. you can see that, yeah, I could do that. So so is there anything particular that you're doing 
in your position because you're now in a position where you can start to influence that positively. Is there anything particular that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, just creating space for everyone. Like you said, it's um, it's kind of the working with the gender bias um, of of everything and working with um, the diversity. It's so. I create round tables with people and we have meetings about where we are at at the moment. And they're really fascinating because um, although I focus them around the Fellowship for British Hairdressing, that they are a representation of our industry. Um, and, and I'll have diversity round tables where we're talking about how we can like balance people of color and, and make sure we're giving a platform and, and creating space for them to shine. Um, and also like gender in as a whole, because actually it's it's not just kind of fighting the balance between men and women in the industry. It's it's just the gender bias in it as a whole. So people that are non-binary, people that are trans, making sure that we're creating space for everyone to have space within the industry. Um, and when we're working on projects, so this morning I was sat with our events. Um, coordinator and going through the events that we've got for this year and who we're going to bring on um, and ask them to to be a part of it. And it's really sad that we have to put extra thought into it, but it's just how things are until until things become the norm and things change. We make sure that there's equal men and women on the platform. So if we're doing an event and there's eight people presenting, half of them people have to be women. Um, and we write a massive list to make sure that we get those four people that equal the eight. We make sure that a percent of those eight people are people of colour um, and are representing a, that part of the industry. Um, we make sure that, yeah, there's diversity across each platform. And, and, it, and it sounds awful that it might just, it might sound like a tick list, mm. but that actually needs to happen right now so that maybe in five years time, it will just be so natural to have maybe even eight women on stage and people not even batter an eyelid or maybe it'll be five people that identify as a woman and maybe there'll be two trans people and maybe there'll be two people that identify as non-binary and it will just not be second nature it will just it will just be there yeah, people yeah. won't think about the fact that that's part of something that was wasn't even part of life 10 years ago um but you have to create space for it and i think yeah. what happened previously is that space was never created. People, women would get into the high role, but they used to have to fight it off against other women to get into that role. So they'd never create more space for more women to come in. And it's only really the last 10, maybe 15 years that that's actually changed. And we've gone, no, we're not happy with this. We're creating space for everyone. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Um, in that position that you've got, you used an example of, say, if I need eight people on stage, four of them are going to be women. If you were trying to find the four places for men to be up there, there'd be a queue or with their hand up fighting to be one of those four. What I'm asking you is, is it hard to find the women 
to take those positions on stage because we both know there'd be plenty of men who'd be breaking their neck to get up there. You know, give me the microphone. I, I'm, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, but, but my observation is that although there are so many women in the industry that maybe, and I suppose this goes back to what you spoke about earlier, that they're less likely to want to push themselves up there. From your perspective, how do you find that? Is it, is it difficult getting them to want to, you know, to be there? I don't think that it is as much now. It may have been before, but the, the space is there for people to take it now. Um, I think the way, men, like, rather than saying men and women, I just think, like, female energy and masculine energy are very different. Like, masculine energy is very direct, mm. um, whereas feminine energy is very encompassing. So when a woman gets asked or a female gets asked to um, do something, I know I will then look at my diary as a whole and, and think about everything that goes into that and whether or not it's going to be right for me to do it. Whereas a man will potentially go, yes, I want to be on stage and I, I want that. It's going to directly influence mm. where I want to go. Whereas a woman, I mean, and, and I'm just thinking as a, as a whole with feminine energy, we won't just think that's going to be really great for our career. We're going to think about how that's going to encompass our life at that moment in time and whether it's going to be right for us. Yeah. Um, so generally it is harder, but only because one, it's not even people queuing up. It's just so much easier off the top of your head to reel off 10 male hairdressers than it is to reel off 10 female hairdressers yeah. because Sadly, that's just how things are. Um, but when you actually come to think of it, there are loads of incredible female hairdressers. It, they just might not come to mind instantaneously. Mm. But hopefully, in 10 years' time, you're, it, as soon as you hear it, think of a hairdresser, you'll think of as many men and women, non-binary, trans, whatever it is, you'll think of, it, you'll think of anyone. It doesn't matter. But... Yeah, so we always write a long list of females that we would like to be on stage. And then we work through the people that we can get on onto the stage. Um, and I think the balance is shifting as well because men aren't thinking in the same way as they used to. Men are thinking about everything now as well. They're not thinking of just their work and where they can get to, how they can get to the top. Men are also now thinking about the balance of their life and trying to encompass everything and whether that's going to be right for them or whether they're going to get too tired. And they're thinking about everything now because gender roles as a whole are changing. So with them thinking about things in a different way, it means there's more space for women to be able to come and, and do the things that they do. Mm. And for us to accept, as soon as men start accepting things and changing their habits, it becomes the norm, which is awful, but that's what kind of needs to happen for women, the way women think to, to become part of society and our industry. You are also very much an open book uh, and very happy to talk about mental health issues. And, um, you know, I know you've had battles with your own mental health, like a lot of people, you know, have and are very open and honest about it these days. And and you have a 
um, you know, a lot to say about it. So um, I don't really have a direct question, you know, for you about it, except for to, to ask you to talk to us about burnout, about mental health, about finding balance as a as a, as a as a young woman, but not necessarily as a young woman, as a person in this industry and and to get some of your um, insights on that. Yeah, of course. Um, yes, like you said, I, I'm, I'm very open when it comes to mental health. I hit burnout and I had a breakdown back at the end of 2017. Um, and prior to that, really, I hadn't put a lot of thought into my mental health. I was constantly driven by working and making my way through the next project that I could get involved in. Um, and I, yeah, I kind of hit my brick wall. Um, and I, I spent the whole of 2018 kind of focusing purely on my mental health. And I went to therapy weekly and I went on different retreats and learned the tools that I needed to, to get by every day um, and slowly become busy again and, and know that, I wasn't going to be threatened by my mental health in the same way that I was back then. Um, but for me, I always think mental health is no different to your physical health. There's, there's times when it could be really severe um, and you hit burnout and you have a breakdown. Um, just like in times in your life, your, your physical health will become really severe. Maybe you'll break your leg. Maybe something worse could happen. But then equally, there's times when you might just get a cold and that's the same with mental health. There's going to be times where one week you might wake up and you're just not feeling great. You're feeling foggy. And, and that's the, the equivalent of having a cold, but from your mental health perspective. And I think every single person on this planet is affected by that. Um, and it's just, like I said before, it's being self-aware and understanding how your mental health personally is affected by things and getting to know yourself. And I think actually over the last two years with the pandemic, I mean, the majority of our mental health have been stretched in some way or another, depending on what's happened to you during that time. But also during that time, we've had a lot of time by ourselves where we've not been as busy. So you sit with yourself a lot more and you sit and reflect and that, that's when you become truly self-aware because you really understand and learn your triggers and or you understand things that help you at that moment or things that aren't helping you at that moment. And we've worked through a lot during all of that time. Um, and I think for me, it's, it's, it's uh, when people say it's a daily battle, I just think it is in a way like you wake up in the morning and you you're choosing the type of energy that you're bringing in. Um, and sometimes you're choosing to fight through that fog and to, to, to go keep going and have a busy day. And maybe halfway through the day, you start feeling better. Just like if you woke up with a cold, you're going to either choose to lay back and rest, or you're going to choose to get up and work. And maybe halfway through the day, the cold doesn't feel as bad. Mm. And I just think that's exactly the same with your mental health. Some days you'll wake up and it might not feel great, but you can figure out your, your toolkit and, and you can make it feel better. But then equally and definitely in no means a worse way or a better way to look after it is some days you wake up and think, actually, 
I really need to allow myself this rest. I need to sit with myself today. I need to allow that fog to clear before I'm going to be productive. Um, and sometimes you need to do that. And it's just when, when you, when you go through I don't know, like therapy and I still have a life coach to talk things over. Cause I just find it helps me when, especially when I'm really busy and I've got lots of things cluttering my head um, to talk to somebody that's outside of my everyday life and just to offload and break it down and hear somebody else's perspective on things. Um, and I just think, yeah, it's, it's really good to, to be able to recognize what works for you and when it works for you. And, and we're all like, we're, we work in cycles and sometimes actually what works for you last year isn't going to be what's working for you right now. And I think one of the things that I'm finding at the moment, now that the world's opening back up again, I'm really busy again and I'm traveling lots. And before the pandemic, even, even after my breakdown and my burnout, I would be able to travel loads and I would still do all my other projects whilst I was traveling. I would be able to keep on top of emails. I'd be able to run different things and, and work it out and, and figure out that, that balance, so to speak. Whereas the last couple of months I've been traveling almost every week and, and I have not been able to keep up with everything. And that's really affected me and my mental health again. And I'm thinking, how did I do it before? But also when I think back of how I did it before, I, I was tired all the time and I've spent two years not being tired because we've been locked up and I don't want to go back to that. So it's re refinding that that balance again in your life and and it's not a work-life balance it's it's a life balance it's just figuring out what's working for you mm. um because when I'm sat at an airport after teaching all day in Italy and I'm about to fly home I'm tired because I've used so much energy teaching I don't want to sit on look at my emails or create pro projects or spreadsheets or invoices like I would have done previously I want to be able to rest and read my book and relax because I've had a busy day. So it's then finding time when you are going to slot that back in, when you're, when you're feeling alert and less foggy. So when you say you had a breakdown, was it simply because you were just working all the hours, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 hours, seven days a week, whatever? Was it just you were simply doing too much and not giving yourself you know, a couple of days off or a couple of hours off every night to just chill? It was it was a combination of a lot of things. Um, I'd spent, I mean, I've been working since I was 11. Mm. So I technically had been working, like if you put the fact that I was yeah. work, I was in school for five days and then I'd go in a salon on a Saturday. So I'd been working six days. Yeah. Like since the, for the majority of my life, I'd been working for six days a week. Um, and then when I become a hairdresser, everyone that I saw at the top seemed to just be working constantly. So in my head, I had to work constantly to get to the top. So I would work seven days a week and work late hours, long hours. And but because you love it, you you just do it. Yeah. Um, because and and that's what you're told. You're told if you love it, you love your job. It's a hobby as much as it is. Um, a job and and I never had a distinction between it being a job and I didn't have any other hobbies mm. I literally lived and breathed hair and 
that that wasn't healthy for me um there was there was personal reasons that went into it um I'd moved to London that year and that whole upheaval even though I would work and I was working in London every week um the whole upheaval of actually just actually moving to a big city affects you in a way that you're not ready that nobody really prepares you for or explains to you um so there was yeah there was multiple things that went into me having that breakdown um which is why I spent the year in therapy breaking it all down and figuring it all out and and learning that I probably should have gone to therapy at about the age of 14 <laughs> like anyone that's gone <laughs> into therapy you, you go into that first session and think why have I not been here before? Oh my God, my life is a mess. Mm. Um, but you need, need you need to break it all down and, and rebuild it up. Yeah, I, I need to put into context when you're saying that you've been working since you were 11 because otherwise people will have these sort of, you know, that it was your mum's, it was your mum's salon. Yeah. And they'll think that you're up yes. chimneys as well, sweeping chimney sweeps or whatever. Um, you know, yeah. there's, there's and that, and yeah. sweeping hair. Right. So it was in your mum's salon on the Saturday that you were doing that. Okay. So yes. what did you learn about yourself when you had, a breakdown what, what did you you know when you you've come out the other end of it and you've been through you know therapy or counseling whatever and and I know you're a very spiritual person anyway is that because of or were you before anyway and yeah just come back to that question what did you learn about yourself what's the thing that you took away from that experience as being that was the lesson I was meant to to learn here oh god there was there was so much that I learned um yeah I mean like you said, I, I am a spiritual person I I grew up quite a spiritual person and then somewhere somewhere along the lines I kind of become disconnected from that um and I don't know if it was me being an angsty teenager or if it was me going into work and being fully focused on work but I kind of disconnected from that completely and I reconnected with that during that time and that's something that I really lean on now um but yeah I think I, I, le I learned so much about myself and I'm still learning so much about myself and and how things can trigger me or how things can't I think more than anything I learned that I need I needed I, I need to have lots of things in my life to to keep me occupied and um but I also learned that rest is a really good thing that I, I never ever allowed myself that um because I am someone that can get bored quite easily um and I would never have days but I mean now I have whole days where I can lay in bed and read a book and it's bliss but I never would have had that prior to to the breakdown and and to everything that I kind of went through. Um, so I never would have allowed myself that. Um, but I've, I've learned what, what helps me disconnect from the world because the world is very noisy and, and people find it really weird, but I don't watch or listen or look at the news at all. Okay. Um, at all. I, I obviously know what's going on in the world through talking to people my partner's one of those people that wakes up every morning and looks at the news straight away. So it's never like I'm going to miss anything. Yeah. And there's certain things that I'll follow on Instagram. There's 
Instagram pages like Simple Politics and UK Fact Checks and things like that that I'll follow mm. that give me the news in a very bite-sized, factual way without the noise of the media on top of it. Um, and that helps me because I will I very much will absorb what's going on and and feel like I need to do something about it and and I can't all the time. So I need to just know what's going on and live in my bubble and make sure that my bubble can be as nice as it possibly can for me and the world around me. So there's, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. I mean, there's so, there's literally so much you learn about yourself and. Yeah. How, how does, um, you know, you've touched on social media there and um, we're also talking about mental health, um, the connection between the two of them, because you hear more and more evidence about social media, particularly for young women, um, not being a positive thing in a lot of cases in terms of their mental health. Was that a factor for you at all? Um, I think it, it really depends. Sometimes I struggle with social media when it comes to mental health. I find if I am having a low day, I will try to avoid social media because there could be things on there that will trigger me or if there's something really big going on in the news that that will be all over social media and and I think I don't really want to see that today because I need to look after myself and not look at what's happening in the world and and that's a very privileged position to be in and I understand that um but there's times actually when I find social media is brilliant for your mental health. It's helped me loads. I've found communities on there that resonate with me and, mm. and help me um, understand myself and the world and realize there's other people out there that are similar to me. And it's, it's like finding your tribe, isn't it? Um, I think it's really important to follow the, the, those type of people. It's following people that, connect with you and make you feel better and make you feel understood rather than following people because they have this really fancy life and you wish you had a part of it. And then you're always going to be thinking, well, my life's not as good as theirs or mm. like everything's put over with a filter on it. So I think it's always good to have that detachment of that's not life. Like that's what people are showing you. Their life is like, um, cause you, you're never going to want to, show them like the nitty gritty of what your life is like. You'll take a nice picture, but they won't see that all your laundry is piled up behind that picture or do you know what I mean? like you're, yeah, the, yeah. there's, there's so much that's not fully shown. Um, so you can you have to take it all with a pinch of salt. Mm. Um, but I do think, yeah, that, like there's pros and cons to it. I mean, it's something this year I've kind of struggled with um, Instagram a bit this year because I felt like it was something that I was having to do for work and I just felt disconnected with it because we've lived our lives on it for the last mm. two years. And I was happy to meet people in person again. And, and I didn't want to just spend loads of time posting and doing everything on social media, like, like we had been prior mm. to the pandemic and then even more so during. So, um, so I kind of fell out of love with it for a little bit. Um, and I actually created a personal page to, to make myself get back into it because as a business, I can't fall out of love with it because it's free promotion. Yeah, it's yeah. how I like 
show off what I've been up to and uh, the key things that I'm about and my business is about. It's how I promote it all. Um, so I had to have a word with myself and be like, you can't fall out of love with something that is a key thing for businesses. Um, so therefore I had to find ways of falling back in love with it. Um, so I created a personal page of Instagram, which I've never had the whole time. My Instagram's always been like everything because I am my own brand. So it's always been completely work-based with personal threaded through it. And I created a personal page this time around so that I could just post pictures and not think about a filter on it or not think about having to hashtag and not care how many likes were on it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of helped me shift back into enjoying social media again. And, and I will happily post on my business page again and, and have that nice disconnection to it that we had before the pandemic and before the world felt like it was all on your phone. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we, we, I have heard you say um, something that it, it doesn't sound profound, but it, I want you to talk about it because it is sometimes the most profound things are the most simple things. And it was something along the lines of that the secret to success is to work hard and be nice. And uh, if anyone who's been listening to you, I'm sure that they will be thinking to themselves, what a very nice young lady this is. You know, uh, talk to us about that. You know, work hard and be nice. That is actually what a lot of it's about, isn't it? So before we wrap up, just, just um, you know, elaborate on that for a minute. Yeah, of course. I mean, to me, it's just, it's a no-brainer. It's just what we have to do to get by in life. Um, if you want to be good at something, you have to work hard. You have to learn your craft. You have to be good at it um, to be able to get opportunities uh, someone has to recognize something in you and, and say they're really good at doing a balayage or they're really good at that color work or maybe they're really good at cutting a bob. So someone has to recognize. So you have to work hard to get to that level where someone thinks, oh, they're really good. I want them on my team or I want to get them involved in my salon or give you a job of whatever description it is. But to actually stay there and and continue you have to be a nice person. You have to, you have to be thoughtful and respectful and, and understand the environment that you're in to, to stay in that place, whether it's working on a shoot or backstage. Um, nobody wants someone that's not nice to be around. But same as in a salon, nobody wants to work next door to someone that's not nice. You all want to, at the end of the day, we're all carrying something heavy. Um, so, let's not shift that onto other people. Let's understand that everyone's carrying something heavy and just create a nice environment for everyone. Like we, we all, we're all just trying to get through the day in the, in the best way we possibly can. So I think we need to learn our craft, work hard to get where we want to go and understand that things don't get handed to you. Instagram followers don't just turn up. They, the people that I know, they work hard to get Instagram followers. If you want to be a brand ambassador, you have to work hard to be recognized by that brand. And then when you turn up at the job, you have to be nice and respectful and understanding mm -hmm. to everybody that's on that job. I just mm -hmm. think it's, it's the best way to get to the top and stay at the top because if you, if you, you can be brilliant at what you do, but if you're not a nice person, you're not going to get booked again. Yeah. So 
if you want consistency, you have to work hard and be nice. That's it. That is the perfect, the perfect way to wrap this up. So, uh, Ashley, whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Um, so, yeah, Instagram's my main one. It's um, Ashley underscore Hodges underscore hair. So, Ashley Hodges hair. Um, you can connect with my art team with hair.com uh, art team on Instagram as well. Um, and Fellowship Hair on Instagram. Great. I will uh, put those links in the show notes and on the growmysalonbusiness.com website with today's podcast. If you're listening to this podcast with Ashley Hodges and have enjoyed it, then please do me a favor. Take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories, because both she and I would love to know what you've enjoyed and got out of it. I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, sitting here listening to her. Uh, And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. So to wrap up, Ashley Hodges, thank you so much for being my guest on this week's Grow My Salon Business podcast. You got any final words to say? No, just thank you so much for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with you. Good. The pleasure has been all mine. It's uh, been too long in the making. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.